Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture comes from Genesis chapter 41, verses 1 through 16. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows in the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh woke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servant and put me and the chief baker in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he, shaved, when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Pharaoh answered, Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable, favorable answer. This is the reading of God's word today. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. Thank you for joining us and choosing to worship with us here this morning. Um, towards the end of the passage that Mitzi just read there, you'll, you'll notice or recall that it said that, that Pharaoh uh, took Joseph out of the pit, out of the pit. Contextually, what that means is he was in prison. He was in a dungeon. He was in the pit. Um, and if you recall... Uh, the week before Easter, we were in Genesis chapter 37, and that, that story ends with his brothers throwing him into a pit, throwing him into a pit. And uh, during our time of confession, uh, Zach, Zach read and we all confessed, one of the sentences goes like this, we confess that we often lose hope when we see the brokenness around us. And, and that, one thing that is, is true is that whenever we open the scriptures and we look at someone like Joseph, or last week for Easter, we look at someone like the Apostle Paul, who, who said these words, so we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light 
momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are, are unseen are eternal. And anytime we look at a passage, like what we're going to look at this morning, or like what we looked at last week, um, or anytime you come to a passage where, where the authors or the scriptures are addressing, how do we deal with suffering? How do we su- deal with suffering? It, it, it resonates with everyone. It resonates with everyone. Everyone suffers uh, from time to time and sometimes uh, very severely and sometimes not so severely. But the question that we want to look at this morning is, how does that become a reality in the life of Joseph? So last week we looked at how our light and momentary afflictions are working for us in eternal weight of glory. That's what we looked at last week in Easter Sunday, and the resurrection is the key to that. But this week, we're going to go back into our series in Living Stones, and we're going to see that played out in the life of Joseph. Now, what we're looking at here are are the bookends. We're going to look at the bookends of the text. We're we're looking at, uh, that's a typo, by the way, that's Genesis 37, verse 27. They took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water. So that's his brothers throwing Joseph into the pit. Now, 13 years later, 13 years later, Joseph has been imprisoned in a dungeon and Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and quickly brought him out of the pit. Not the same pit, different pits, but this whole story is is bookended with pits. So bookended with pits. So the, the, the theme of this message this morning, the theme of our text is, where is God when we're in the pits? So pits and the power of God. We're going to look at three things this morning. By the way, we're going to cover 13 years and 35 minutes. So buckle your seatbelts. Uh, I usually don't cover this much scripture uh, in, in, one, in one sitting, but, but we're looking at the theme here, not any particular verse, but the theme that, that we see in, in these chapters. So Three things we're going to take a look at. First of all, the promises of God, the promise of God, pits and problems, Joseph pits, Joseph problems, your problems, your pits, not these pits, but just the pits in general, right? And then we're going to take a look at the providence and the power of God. Because everybody's going to go into these pits from time to time. Everyone is going to suffer. Everyone is going to struggle. And the question that we ask when we're in the midst of struggling is, where is God? And how do these problems, how do these problems, how do we reconcile these problems with God's promises? Is God still sovereign? Is God still in control? Am I out of his favor? What is going on here? So that's what we're going to look at. So please turn in your Bibles to Genesis Genesis uh, chapter 39, and we will begin our time in the Word. Father, we come to you desperately needy of you, Lord. Every person here is experiencing pain in some context, and if they're not, they will. And so, Father, we lose hope sometimes. We get discouraged. Um, We become fearful. We become doubtful. Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Would you encourage those who, uh, who are broken, would you lift up those who are just downtrodden? Father, would you convict those who are apathetic? Lord, would you just do whatever work you need to do in and through us so that we might come to know you, uh, that we might come to know you better, that we might come to trust you, that we might experience your presence, your power, 
and, and see you glorified this morning. Help me to preach and teach in your power for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's take a look. First of all, the promise. The promise. For Joseph, that begins in chapter 37. Now, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, I think the week before Easter. The promise, from Joseph's perspective, he was given two dreams. So our, our time this morning opened with, with two dreams. Not Joseph's dreams, but Pharaoh's dreams. So this narrative starts with two dreams, but these are Joseph's dreams. And, and those dreams have to do with, with uh, uh, sheaves of grain bowing down to his sheaf of grain. And those represented his brothers. And then the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to, to his star. And so his, his whole family. So from his perspective, what he has received is a dream from God. And all he knows, all he knows from his perspective is that he's been given a promise. And that promise is that his family will bow. He does not understand the full context of this dream. He's been given a promise God clearly has a purpose and he's kind of let Joseph a little bit in on the purpose of his life and that somehow he is going to be exalted. Somehow his family is going to recognize his, his position and they are going to honor him. Somehow. He has no idea the implications of that or what it's going to, what it's going, but he has a promise. He has a promise. That's his perspective. Now, from God's perspective, his plan is to, yes, exalt Joseph, exalt Joseph, but the purpose for which he is going to do that is to save his family, save his family, and save a region from famine, and ultimately save the world from sin. So for God to accomplish this great grand narrative, this great redemptive plan, he has to exalt this 17-year-old kid so that Joseph can be used by God to deliver his family from famine, from Egypt from famine, from the region from famine, and ultimately preserve the line of Christ so that all of us could be delivered from sin. That's a big plan. Joseph only knows that his family's supposed to bow to him, and he doesn't even know what that means. So he's got a promise. He's got a promise. And each of you, if you are in Christ, has been given a promise. If each of you, and that's an if, I don't know that all of you are in Christ. In fact, strike that. Given the crowd this size, I guarantee you that there are some people here who are not followers of Christ. Yet, you are not in a covenant relationship with God. Yet, you have not been forgiven of your sins. Yet, you have not entered into that relationship. You have not by grace through faith trusted in Christ. Yet. Hopefully, today would be the day of your salvation. And, and that is all by grace, and it's all by faith. But many of you have entered into that relationship with Christ. And because of that, you've been given the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit resides in you. You have been declared righteous in Christ. You have been declared not guilty in Christ. You have been made a covenant child of God. And there is no condemnation for you. The Holy Spirit seals you. The Holy Spirit sets you apart. And you are being sanctified. That is, you are being made like Christ more and more every day through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And God uses your pain, God uses your suffering, and you will be raised up and exalted, and He will work, He will work all things for your good, that you might be conformed to the likeness and image of Christ. 
and that everything that you suffer today, tomorrow, and next week, and the years to come, those are light momentary afflictions that are going to work for you an eternal weight of glory. And that's the promise. That's the promise. Until you're in the pits and you're questioning how in the world is God going to make anything good out of this. So that's the context. That's where we start, the promise. Now let's take a look at the problems. And these are Joseph's problems. They're unique to him, but you'll relate to some of them. Starts out with his family. We looked at that two weeks ago. His family, he tells his family these dreams. His brothers hated him to begin with. They hate him more. And his father doubles down on his favoritism for his son and makes him this awesome coat and they hate him even more. And so that brings him to the point where after he's checking up on him and they see him coming in the distance, they, they, they scheme together and they throw him into this pit, they sell him into slavery and the Midianite slave traders take him to Egypt. Now he arrives in Egypt, this is chapter 39, you can turn there, we'll just kind of skim this, we won't be looking at any, any uh, verses in detail, but more of a summary. So in chapter 39, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought, bought him for, uh, from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So he is sold as a slave, a household servant, to a man named Potiphar, who is a captain of the guard for Pharaoh, a very powerful man. And, and the Lord is with him, and he prospers. And, and Pharaoh, or rather Potiphar, exalts him, lifts him up, and puts him in charge of everything in his household. So he goes from the pits, out of the pits, human trafficking, sold as a slave, God is with him, it says, and he serves, serves Potiphar and, and, and everything that he does prospers. Potiphar recognizes this, exalts him, promotes him, still a slave, but he's highest on the pecking order of all the slaves and God prospers all that he does. And then there's Potiphar's wife who takes a note of the fact that Joseph is attractive, Joseph is handsome, Joseph is successful, and she comes on to him again and again and again. She comes on to him and she, she asks him to, to enter into a sexual relationship, an uh, intimacy that is only, only uh, to be between a man and a wife, and, and, and Joseph uh, scorns her or, or pushes her away and says, I cannot do this thing. Far be it for me to sin against God and sin against my master, Potiphar. I will not do this thing. And so she, she arranges all of the rest of the servants to be gone, all of the rest of the servants to be gone. So it is he and her, her alone in, in Potiphar's household. And she comes and she grabs a hold of him. Lie with me, she says. Joseph turns and runs and leaves his cloak. As he leaves his cloak, immediately, as Mrs. Potiphar says, says that this servant, this Hebrew slave that, that, that my, my husband has brought into the house has come to make sport of me. And it basically accuses him of attempted rape. Potiphar finds out about this and he is furious. Now, it's interesting because Potiphar's fury lands Joseph in prison. Now, if you're a betting person, what do you assume is the penalty for attempted rape for a slave in a powerful person's home in Egypt at, during this time in history? Death. Death. 
but he doesn't, he doesn't kill him. Why do you suppose that is? Because Potiphar knows better. Potiphar knows that this is his wife's doing. Now, the text doesn't tell us that, but you can assume that. There's no way he lets Joseph live. There's no way. But you can't just, what do you do? You're Potiphar, so you throw him in prison. So he goes from being in one pit to now being in another pit. And now he is thrown into prison. And now we see in Genesis chapter 39, verse 21. As soon as his master heard the wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners was, were confined. And he was there in prison. Verse 21. But, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. In a similar way to how God was with Joseph in the house of Potiphar and showed him favor in the, in the house of Potiphar, God was with Joseph in the prison and showed him favor there. And so that as Joseph served in the prison, God prospered what he did. The warden elevated him so that everything that was done in the prison with the other prisoners was kind of run through, run through Joseph and he prospered-ish as much as you can prosper in a prison. So he's in the pit. God is with him. And then two individuals have troubling dreams. These individuals were in the household of, uh, of, of Pharaoh. One was Pharaoh's baker. One was Pharaoh's cupbearer. Both of them have troubling dreams and they talk about these dreams. And, and Joseph says, do not all dreams belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And so they both tell him the dream. And, 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 and Joseph says, well, here's what your dream means. He tells the cupbearer, your dream that you just had, here, here's the meaning. The meaning is that by the end of three days, Pharaoh is going to call you from prison. He's going to elevate you back to your position. And so the, the baker's like, well, that was a favorable interpretation. Tell me what my dream means. Uh, okay, well, at the end of three days, Pharaoh is going to call for you and he's going to lift your head off of you. In other words, you're going to go down to death. And, and, and so he tells this to the, the cupbearer. He says, now, as you go back to Pharaoh's household, please remember me. For I am here unjustly. My brother sold me into slavery and I've been falsely accused. Please put a word in for me. And so this Joseph thinks, this is my big chance. This is my big chance. Finally, finally, God is going to use this opportunity. I know someone. There's someone in the know here. I can be lifted up out of this pit. And what happens? The cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh's household and forgets everything that happened. He forgets Joseph. And Joseph languishes in the pit. He languishes in the pit. And so we want to pause here. I know this is Joseph's story, but what's your story? What's your story? You come to Christ maybe early in life or, or maybe as a young adult or, or maybe you haven't come to Christ yet and you're considering coming to Christ and, and, and you're following and, or you're considering following and then life deals you a deck of cards or a hand which, which is not in your favor. Life, life is hard. Life is hard. Your marriage is hard. You, you went into it and your marriage turns out it's the pits. Your job is the pits. Your relationship are, 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 are the pits. All of these things, your health, your health is not what it ought to be. And you don't seem to get a break. 
Now, Joseph, this is 13 years of suffering. 13 years of suffering. What's your context? We, we have promise. We have a promise from God. And individually, we have a promise from God. And as God's people, we have a promise from God. And then we look around us in, 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 the, in the, our context. And we look at our own culture. And we look at all the things which, which stand against us, which seem, to, which seem to stand between us and that which God has for us. And we, it, it seems as if, it seems as if the enemy's winning. It seems as if we're not advancing. Jesus said that... Uh, that um, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And we look, at, we look at the church in America and the church is declining. Church attendance is dropping year after year after year. And it, we see that our culture is, it seems, uh, well not seems, it is hostile to the gospel. And, and it, it just seems like, it seems like the culture, it seems individually, things just keep getting worse. And we wonder if... How, how is God still sovereign? How is he still in control? How, how is he going to make these things turn out for good for those who love him and called according to his purpose? How is he going to turn these light momentary afflictions into eternal weight of glory? How's he going to do this? And, and so we, like Joseph, we get in these situations where the pain is real, the pain is not imagined, the pain is injustice. In his case, it's literal injustice. It's wickedness. How? How is God going to be true to his word? So those are the problems. Those are the problems. Now let's take a look at the power and providence of God. I chose to use a word which is not technically in the text. The word providence here. God's providence. It means God's plan in interaction with his creation. Usually discussed in association with God's sovereignty, his foreknowledge, predestination, free will, and evil. That's from uh, a Bible dictionary. That's just a definition of the word providence. God's plan in interaction with his creation, usually discussed and associated with God's sovereignty, his foreknowledge, predestination, free will, and evil. So God is still sovereign. Joseph is in prison. Joseph has been abandoned and sold into slavery by his brothers. He's been falsely accused of rape. He's been forgotten by the individual who is lifted up out of prison. And he's just languishing in prison. And God is still on his throne. Every single one of you experiences pain and suffering and injustice and abuse and all sorts of different things. You, you suffer the consequences of your own sin. You suffer the pain that's of, of other people's sin against you. You suffer because of uh, sickness. You suffer because of all sorts of things. And here's the, here's the fact. God is still absolutely sovereign and knows how he is going to use all of that for your good and his glory. And that is because he is powerful and that's because he's providential. He knows what he's doing. But here's how we think God should manifest his power. Shock and awe. What do I mean by shock and awe? When you're in prison, you're Joseph, and you pray, how do you pray? When you're in pain, how do you pray? When you're sick, how do you pray? And by the way, I'm not, this isn't a rebuke. I'm just telling you how we ask God to work. We ask God to work with shock and awe. In other words, if we're in prison, 
break the chains. If we're sick, take up your mat and walk. That's what we ask. And it's not wrong to ask that. That's what we, we want to see a, a, a massive demonstration of God's power. We want to see shock and awe. We want to see something so powerful that if people saw it, they would say, God is at work here. We want to see someone raised from the grave. We want to see Lazarus come out of the tomb. We want to see the cripple stand and walk and take up his mat. We want to see the the, the bars of injustice broken. We want to see uh, uh, corrupt regimes overturned. We want to see injustice abolished. We want to see shock and awe, right? And should we want that? Absolutely. Because all of those things that we're praying for when we're in pain, injustice, and sickness, and death, all of those things are manifestation of the fall. So we should want those things to no longer be there. That is natural and that's normal. And we want shock and awe. We want God to do it right now real quick. And sometimes... That happens sometimes. But more often than not, how God usually manifests his power is slow and steady. I hate slow and steady. I I don't want to go through 13 years of pain. I don't, I, when I ask for, for God to do something, I know you've heard me share about Stacy's chronic suffering, but 20 some years ago when I prayed, I kind of wanted him to work it out right then, <laughs> right? Who, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Joseph prays for God's deliverance and he wants to work it out right then in the pit after his brothers threw him in. Not 13 years later. But so often in the people of God as they experience pain and suffering and and their life is quote unquote metaphorically in the pits, God manifests his power slowly and steadily. It's not shock and awe. But it's still nonetheless his power. It's still nonetheless his power. Let's take a look how this works. God's power and his providence. Genesis chapter 39, verse 2 and 3. Take a look here. I know it's, you're just going to have the, verse, the references. The Lord was with Joseph. He became successful. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw. His master saw. Potiphar saw. The Lord was with him. And the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. That is a manifestation of the goodness, the mercy, and the power of God through an individual who trusted him in the midst of their suffering. And then you have the warden. He's now accused falsely by Potiphar's wife. He is cast into the pits, another prison. And in verse 21, but... The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it successful. Before the Lord... 
God, or before the warden, God was with Joseph. And then we have in, in chapter 40, verse 18 through 20, 22, that the, the, this cupbearer has this dream. And, and Joseph, do not all dreams belong to God? Tell me, he serves. Do you notice that there's a pattern here? There's a pattern here. Joseph, in his affliction, is a humble servant to everyone he comes across. His, he serves. He serves the war, he serves Potiphar and his wife. He serves the warden and the other prisoners. He's just a servant. He's just a servant. He is a suffering servant. Joseph is a suffering servant. And in that suffering, the power and majesty of God is on display. And then in chapter 41, verses 1 through 14, Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at that time, has some troubling dreams. He has some troubling dreams. The first dream has to do with cows, fat and sleek, seven cows. And then up out of the river came seven gaunt, sickly cows. And those, those cows devoured and ate carnivorous cows. Desire, devour the other cows. And then immediately another dream. This dream is one stalk with, with, with seven fat ears of grain. And another, another stalk rises up, blighted, withered. And that, that devours those, those, those healthy ears. And he's troubled by this and he calls all the magicians and nobody can tell him what it means. And then 13 years later, from the time he was cast into a pit by his brothers. Pharaoh's cupbearer remembers Joseph. Tells Pharaoh all about him and he is pulled from the pit. Now we'll see how that works out next week. We'll see how that works out next week. But he's pulled from the pit. God's hand is with Joseph every single step of the way. Whether he perceives it or not, God is with him. Now let's take a look here. Also we have Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams and is elevated to power. So if you turn in, in chapter 41, we'll see in verse, starting in verse 15, this is a lot of scripture. We're not going to read all this, but just just what happens here in overview, Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He says, here's the meaning of your dream. The meaning of your dream is this. There's going to be seven years of prosperity. Seven years where the grain bins are going to overflow. Seven years where the crops are going to be bumper crops. Seven years of prosperity. But at the end of the seven years, there's going to be seven years of famine. Seven years of drought. Seven years where nothing will grow. And Pharaoh listens to this dream and he says, what should be done? And Joseph gives him not only the interpretation, but uses the gifts and abilities that God has given him to serve someone who is over him. And he simply tells him, here's what you should do. You should save, you should set aside a large percentage of grain every year for those first seven years 
so that the end of those seven years, you can draw from that surplus that you saved and you can feed the entire nation and the entire region. Pharaoh hears this and elevates him to second in command of all of Egypt. He becomes the second most powerful man in the world. He goes from being in prison to power in the course of a weekend. This is not a shock to God. This was God's purpose and plan all along. But understand, we're looking at 13 years and 35 minutes, right? And most of you know the story already. You already know Joseph's story. You've watched the cartoon, Prince of Egypt, right? Even if you haven't read the scriptures, you watch that with your kids. So you know the general storyline. Joseph doesn't know the storyline in the middle of the story. And neither do you in the middle of your story. All you know is when it hurts, it hurts. All you know is when you are treated unjustly, it hurts. All you know is when you are sick, it hurts. All you know is when you attend a funeral, it hurts. And you can't see how God is going to use it for your good and his glory. You've just been given some promises. And you, you, nobody knows the last chapter of the book. Well, we do know the last chapter of the book, but we don't know how it's going to work out. Nobody sees f- f- into the future the way we see in hindsight into the past, except God. So what do we do with this? Power and the providence of God. Here's some principles to take away. Here's some, some things which hopefully will help each of us. Number one, God forms his people in the pits. God forms his people in the pits. This is not simply about God accomplishing his purpose globally, but this is about God accomplishing his purpose individually. Go back to chapter 37 and think about this. What do we have in chapter 37? We have a dysfunctional family. You got a dad who dotes on his kid. He's, he's playing favorites. We got, we got uh, the brothers who are just pretty much awful. And they, they want to kill their little brother. And then we have a bratty 17-year-old who wants to talk about how awesome his dreams are and how everyone's going to bow, bow to him. Here's what we want. Here's what we, if that's your family, if that's your family, here's what we expect God to do. We want shock and awe. We want God to show up in a cloud of glory, a thunderous voice from heaven. We want God to be the dad who says, I'm stopping this car. And we want God to pull over on the shoulder of the road and turn over and base, turn around and, and let us all have it. You, Joseph, stop being a bratty teenager. You, Jacob, stop favoring your youngest son. And you brothers, you're all awful. Stop it. Grow up. That's what we want. Why doesn't God do that? How many of you have had character transformation because simply somebody told you to stop being dumb? Does anyone become transformed by being told they need to change? I'm going to go one further. Never. Never. 
Do you know how we change? By being told that we need to change, but then by being thrust into the furnace, thrust into a cauldron, and being hammered, molded, and shaped. That's how you change. Joseph was not ready to lead. He was not ready to be exalted. He had to learn to become a humble servant by being a humble servant. And that's just how it works. We we want the benefits of sanctification being made into the likeness and image of Christ without being made into the likeness and image of Christ. We just want to receive Jesus and be like Jesus. It doesn't work that way. When I came to Christ in 1988, I thought I was awesome. Some of you are like, you are so vain. Oh no, it's way worse than that. Here's what I mean. I was single, I was single, and because I was single and I didn't know Jesus, I thought I was a really, really great guy. And then I became a Christian, and then I got married, and I discovered that I was a narcissist, that I was proud, that I was vain, that I was angry, that I was lustful. I discovered all of these things which were true before, and then God has used pain and suffering to mold me, to shape me, and to make me progressively more like his son day by day. And suffering is a part of that. Sure, I would just have liked God to have told me in 1988, Brooks, these are all the things that are wrong with you. Stop it. If he would have told me everything that was wrong with me in 1988, I would have dropped dead for sheer shock of all that was wrong with me. That's not how God works. He doesn't dump it all in your lap on the first day. Instead, he lets you go through life. He lets you experience some highs. He lets you experience some lows. He lets you experience joy. He lets you experience pain. And sometimes he leaves you in the pits for 13 years. And you sound like that. (laughs) Thank you, Nathan, for pinching your baby on cue to give that sermon illustration. Now, if I didn't know him, I would not have called him out, but that's okay. It was perfect. God is sovereign even over crying children in sermons. The point, you you see the point? When it's us in the pits, when it's us in the dungeon, when that suffering is prolonged, we start to question whether or not God is really at work. So God forms his people in the pits. And God's power is more visible to others through our suffering than our successes. I know we all want to be like Joseph. We want to be on top of the world. We want people to look up to us and and, and look at our power and our position and say, look at the great job you've done. Wouldn't it be awesome if God just worked just that way? That's not how he generally works. Do you know how God's power is most visibly displayed to those who don't know Jesus? It's when you suffer well. It's when you suffer well. When you give God glory, like Job did, when you suffer, he gets the glory. And God's power is on display through you and your pain. And understand that God will eventually lift you out of the pit. That's a promise. You're not going to stay there. 
you're not going to stay there. God's purpose for you is not to leave you in the pit, provided you are a covenant member of his family. But I cannot leave the sermon right here because the truth of the matter is there are many people who don't know Jesus. And at the end of the day, they will go down into the pit and they won't come out. And that will be of their own choosing. That will be of their own choosing. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, now is the day of salvation. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins. So what does sin even mean? It just simply means to, to, to live a life independent of God. When I say repent of your sins, I'm not implying that you're all horrible people. Some of you are very, very good people, but you don't know Jesus. Because your lives are independent of him. To repent of sin simply means to recognize that my life, independent of him, leads to death. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Receive that everlasting life. Receive that grace that comes from God. Turn from your sins, that is a life which is lived independently of God, and receive the grace and forgiveness that comes through Christ. And let him begin to work all things for your good the good things that you experience, and the pits. Let him begin to work all of those things out and trust that whatever pain you're in right now is only temporary. It is light, it is momentary, and it is working for you an eternal weight of glory if you're in Christ. That is God's promise to you. He said, well, Brooks, how can I know? You can know because there was another suffering servant and his name wasn't Joseph. He had a father named Joseph. But that suffer, suffering servant, you can read about in Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet Isaiah saw this suffering servant. Suffering servant, this, this one who had no majesty so that anyone would be drawn to him, no beauty, but, but who took the sins of the world upon himself, the suffering servant of Israel, who did not open his mouth, he did not display his power, but he became a sin offering. That suffering servant. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. is He humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. He took the form of a servant and became obedient even unto death. Death on a cross. But God raised him up and exalted him so that at the name of Jesus, every knee, everyone should be saved and every knee should bow to him. Just like Joseph, he was exalted. He was exalted and every knee will bow. Have you bowed to Jesus, the suffering servant, just like Joseph? Suffered, cast into a pit, rejected, but exalted. If you trust in Christ, the promise is for you and God will lift you out of that pit. Let's pray. Before we pray, if you would like to share a prayer request with us, you're in the pits, you're struggling, please let us know. 
will be people up here to pray with you and for you at the end of the service. Or if you're, that's something you're just not ready to do, but you'd like us to pray for, pray for you, you can, uh, you can click the QR code there and go to there. Or we have those prayer cards in the back. Or if you'd like to learn about grace, you'd like to begin your, your next step in following Jesus, or maybe the first step, you're interested in helping, you'd like to be able to give, all of those different things, please take one of those cards. Or just uh, click the QR code. So if you'd like us to pray for you, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for entering the pit. Thank you for taking our sins. And Lord, thank you for coming out of that pit and showing us that you have conquered sin and death. Lord, we love you. We worship you. And I pray that you would draw all people here this morning to yourself. If there's someone here yet who has not trusted you, may today be the day that they repent of their sins turn to you and receive the grace and forgiveness that comes through Christ. And Lord, for those who are hurting today, I pray that you would encourage them, that you would give them hope, hope not in their circumstances, but hope that you take all circumstances and work them for good. Lord, would you show us your powerful hand at work? Would you help us to be faithful? Would you help us to display your power in the midst of suffering so that you would be glorified and we'd be transformed into your image? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, go in grace, and we will see you next week.